Well, should we tell the people why we're, why we're here? I suppose we should. So we've heard from some people who actually have listened to this podcast um, that we needed to explain to them exactly what it is we're up to because some folks are coming into this with understandably different levels of knowledge and experience with the sorts of things we're dealing with. And so I guess the first question that we've been asked is, what is this actual play podcast thing that we're doing? Because not everyone's heard of that. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who are very into those, but there's also even more people who are not. So Yeah, there's a discrete sort of subset of people who really know what an actual play is. And I mean, we want to help people get into them because I personally think they're very fun. Um, but I... I think it, a lot of people just skip over what is an actual play podcast. And it's pretty simple, actually. It's, it's just a bunch of people are playing a game and they record it. Um, in our case, that means we're playing Monster of the Week, which is a tabletop RPG system, at least somewhat. We don't have a tabletop, but it's that genre. Um, and we record ourselves playing it and what you hear is nothing but that it's it's just the actual playing of this game and whenever i first heard of these things probably from you to be honest it struck me as one of the worst possible things i could imagine because i get enjoying playing a game but, but to watch to it is a very different thing right yes. and you know, then it occurs to me that, like, I watch sports all the time. Oh, yeah. And it's a different type of enjoyment than playing the game, but it is still enjoyable to watch people play sports. And I think an actual play is in some ways similar. Um, it, it's not like playing the game, but there is something still very enjoyable about it. And the thing is, you know, human beings we like our narratives and so oh people love stories it's part of being human and even when you're talking about sports ball like we retroactively assign narratives to that so um you know full disclosure i am a long time and long suffering fan of the kansas city chiefs and they yay they won the super bowl uh Mm -hmm. last um, which was very exciting, and I was a complete nervous wreck for all of that. But, you know, there's a narrative in your head when you're watching a game. You can't help it. Yes. Um, you know, I was sure the Chiefs were going to lose. They were down, and then they make a comeback, and it was fabulous. And, you know, then in, in retrospect, then the narrative in my head is, well, that was just fate because, you know, the yes. Chiefs are incredible, and Patrick it's Mahomes is awesome. story, yeah. Right, like, and as a human being, yeah, exactly. And as a human being, I can't help but create that narrative in my head for this thing that unfolds in front of me. Now, an actual play podcast, like we're doing, at least that's a a tabletop RPG, which is a role-playing game. Like, there's more narrative baked in. Oh, yes. And particularly for the system we're using, um, different RPGs have different levels of role-playing within them and Monster of the Week is pretty heavy on it which makes it very easy to tell a story and that's really I think what actual play podcasting should be doing it's telling a story through a game 
Um, the game helps provide structure, but the story is brought by the players. And then that way it's not that different from just listening to another sort of fictional podcast of a different genre. And in fact, Michael Sands and a lot of the other creator, well, I mean, he is the creator of Monster of the Week, but other people yes. talking about Monster of the Week describe it as collaborative storytelling, even more yes. than a game, which I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think um, that's true of a lot of good RPGs. Um, I, I think if you get too engrossed in the whole game part of it, you forget about the role-playing part. And really what that it, it's meant to be is co cooperative storytelling. Um, and I think Monster of the Week is very strong in that regard as being heavier on the role play than maybe even the rules aspect. And obviously people get to enjoy different things, right? Like there's of rules course. lawyers who enjoy rules lawyering and that's cool, man. Like if you, if you enjoy that, like more power yeah, to you. That's totally fine. Find somebody to enjoy that with you. It's, it's fine to enjoy what you enjoy, but um, in, in the context of us trying to tell a story, it made sense for us to not lean so heavily on the rules. And that kind of brings us to one of the other questions that we've heard from actual honest to God listeners that we have to yeah, this podcast, those, huh? uh, which is astounding. Like that's it really a, a surprise because I figured that the five of us who were involved would listen to it. So we'd have five listeners and we might each provoke one other person to listen to it. And so then we'd get to like 10, 10. Um, but we've got Far many more than that. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so wonderful to see that that's very gratifying. But one of the things I've heard from those other than what in the world is an actual play podcast is, OK, I know about actual play podcasts at least a little bit. And I know about tabletop role playing games. But what system are you playing? And we haven't been entirely clear about that through the first uh, arc with the Ozark Spooklight because we just wanted to get into the action. Yeah, we wanted to jump right into the story without spending a lot of time talking about mechanics or rules or that sort of thing, which I think was the right call, but I can understand how it would leave people wondering what exactly we're doing. Um, and we've mentioned a few times already in this little bonus we're recording here, um, but we're playing a game called Monster of the Week. It's a system that is powered by a sort of more universal system called Powered by the Apocalypse. It is indeed Powered by the Apocalypse. Yeah, and so rather than having a whole bunch of different types of dice or gobs of different stats and skills and all of that, um, it's a much more simplified, stripped-down sort of rule set, which makes it more versatile. You can do a lot more things with it. Um, you only need 2d6s in, in your, your dice set, so it, you can fish those out of well, any kind of board game, really. Um, and you have, in Monster of the Week, a very small set of stats that you can do certain actions with. Um, Monster of the Week itself is just taking those Powered by Apocalypse rules and skinning them with um, something reminiscent of those Monster of the Week TV shows, stuff like X-Files, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, supernatural, those types of shows. This sort of fiction where you have these installments with a new villain that pops up each week and elements of the supernatural and magical and unknown. Um, there's certainly a horror element to it, but I think more than anything, it's, it's just thrill and theme and there's a certain vibe to it. And I think that this is a particularly good system 
for an actual play podcast, at, at least from my perspective, because the way, uh, you know, I came into this, uh, again, some full disclosure, and we'll, we'll do some name dropping here, <laughs> is that you, in fact, turned me on to uh, the Adventure Zone and yes. their, their amnesty arc. And, and I think that's where a lot of people found Monster of the Week. Yes, um, because it... Adventure Zone Amnesty was... Because, you know, the Adventure Zone is a big deal, and yes. a lot of people listened to it, and then they went from playing the old granddaddy system of Dungeons & Dragons and switched to this very different system, Monster yeah. of the Week. And as someone who had played Dungeons & Dragons back way back when, when it was literally the first edition, and when there was first edition in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, like this monster of the week thing seemed very different to me because there are so few stats to keep track of. There are so few rolls. Like you said, there's just 2d6. Like you just roll two six-sided dice. Yeah. You know, you don't need your 20-sided dice. You don't need your 12-sided dice. You don't need your 10-sided dice, your eight-sided dice, your four-sided dice. Like it's just 2d6 like that, that are easy to find. Yes. And, and you go. And I guess we should kind of run through while we're talking about monster of the week, I said there aren't very many stats, but, like, but there are a few. There, there are a few that matter that de- help define the character. Although the character is more defined narratively as I think we've seen through the, through the spook light arc and yeah. certainly are going to see in some of the other arcs that, that I happen to know we already have recorded. And so, yeah, I guess we should run through those. I've got those up right now because I, I suspect don't have them in you may not. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's the charm stat. Yeah, and the charm stat is sort of like charisma in Dungeons and Dragons, but it's more general in some ways, I think. Um, it's just your ability to sort of relate to people, and it's used to manipulate. That's one of the moves you can do. Um, I think there's a couple other things that certain playbooks, certain roles, uh, might use, but I, that's the big one. Manipulate yeah. people. Yeah, how you interact with people. And, and you know, charm, like all of these we, we will discuss here, the range for a player can go from negative one to all plus three. To plus three yeah. And that's it. So there's a fairly it. narrow range, but that's what you, that's your modifier to your roll of the two six-sided dice. Yes. So, um, you know, that's uh, a plus three whenever, you know, the, the natural range of possibilities is from two to 12. A plus three is a pretty significant advantage. Yes. And we'll talk a little bit, I bet, about like, what is a success? What is a failure? And a little mm-hmm. bit, but um, it, that plus three can be enormous. Wide. Yeah, it's a huge <laughs> advantage. Um, and so then after charm comes cool. And I guess cool is sort of like, you know, you're rolling in with a nifty leather, leather jacket or, you know, on an awesome motorcycle or something. But it's a lot more than that, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, somebody who has a high cool stat might have that sort of look, but they might not, too. It's more, in my mind, I think of it as being level-headed, right? Unflusterable. Yeah. When you're under pressure, when you're in a situation that is dangerous fast-paced, something where you have to react quickly. Do you make the correct decision? Can you complete what you wanted to do even though there's danger bearing down on you? Um, I think it's very much more cool-headed rather than just how nice you look in a leather jacket. Exactly. Um, And then there's the sharp, which on one hand is sort of how smart you are, how intellectually and intelligent you are. 
but there's also a bit of how observant you are, how much you pick up on clues from your surroundings. Uh, and how much knowledge you already have. You might right. have a high sharp stat just because you've studied a lot. This is something that you have a lot of information about. Um, it's A lot is rolled up in sharp. I think it's one of the more versatile stats. Well, and then for a stat that is a little versatile, but not as versatile as some of the others, but very, very important when it comes down to the fight is the tough stat. Yes. Um, your tough stat is essentially how well you can do in hand-to-hand combat. Um, it's how strong you are, how well you can stand damage. It's pretty much what you use to kick ass, which is another move in the game. <laughs> um, and, I mean, you may have gathered from listening to rails and we don't have a lot of tough in our party which sometimes is problematic yes Um, when it comes to a fight uh you lot uh face some challenges i I think we all are either negative one or zero in tough so (laughs) it's sort of if we're in hand-to-hand combat most of us are in trouble yeah if you're in hand-to-hand combat something's gone badly wrong yeah we're in the wrong place yeah um, and then the final stat line, which is one that y- you guys, you know, our, our hunters and rails that excel at is the weird. Yeah, for the most part, we're a very weird bunch. And weird is another with one. A, with, with a cool and a charming. Like, you've got two yeah. weirdos and then a, a cool and a charming. But yeah, weird. Yes. We, we got a lot of weird going on. Um, and weird is sort of general in a way sharp is, too. Because you can be weird in a lot of ways. There's a lot of particularly playbook moves that rely on weird uh magic and we'll get into playbook moves a little bit here soon yeah, yeah particularly ones that might be relevant to rails and mysteries but um weird can mean a whole lot of things it's mainly the stat used to do things that are magical supernatural and all of that it, it's anything that would not be considered normal um can be lumped under the weird stat Right. Um, and it's not, you know, sometimes it's you're trying to actually do a magical thing, but yeah. then other times it is, um, you know, just how attuned, attuned you are to magical things or supernatural occurrences yes. that may be going on. And, you know, so that comes into play, well, a lot in, in this genre of storytelling. Yeah. And I mean, I think that makes weird a very interesting stat, whether it's low or high. Because if you are a character who's a monster hunter that has a very low weird stat, that means something as well, right? Like, that is a interesting feature to a character just as much as having a very high weird status. Right. Um, it's kind of defining because, you know, if you it just is. can't do magic or shouldn't be involved with magic, well, that's kind and of... And can't understand magic, can't... And see the supernatural, even though maybe other members of the party can. It, it's defining. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's an interesting uh, character trait. Yes. Uh, well, shall we get to these moves that we've been talking about? Yeah. I have, I have them up in front of me here, so we can just—they're listed out in alphabetical order. You're very prepared. Yes, I am. Um, act under pressure is the first move. And that's the move that, well, I guess we should talk about what the concept of a move is first. Yeah, let's, this let's is, start with that, because yeah. we're going to get deep into what the particulars of these moves do, and we need to know what a move is before we can get into that. Um, moves are various different actions that you can use at different contexts of the story. So if you are 
in a situation where you're in danger, you might need to do something to figure out how to get out of it. Um, and you could say, I use a move, read a bad situation to figure that out. And you'd roll and add your relevant stat to whatever the move you're, is you're doing and determine whether you have a success. So it's, it's essentially a moment where the dice play into the narrative. It's a little bit of randomization, but with it, yeah. the, the, the possibilities tilted based on the characteristics of the uh, hunter involved. Yes. And basically the way it goes with the few caveats is that if the modified roll is seven or higher, the move is successful. Whatever the, the player is attempting to do is successful. At least partial, right? Yes, that's the caveat. Yeah. Is there are gradations there, right? Yes. Um, if you're below that, then you have a failure. You don't set out to do whatever you wanted to do. You don't see whatever you were looking for. Whatever you were attempting to do, you don't do it. Right. So that can be pretty dire in certain situations. There is a slight benefit, though, because anytime you roll a six or lower, you get to mark experience, which is essentially how you advance your character. A bit of failure does you good because that means hopefully in the future you'll have the chance to do something better. You'll be improved. And, and while there are other ways to get experience, and we'll probably hit on those uh, later on as we discuss this gaming system, uh, one of the nifty things about Monster of the Week is it quite consciously takes the approach that these hunters gain experience through failing. Yeah. which is kind of a real-life sort of thing in some regards. Yeah, and so it rewards game. failure with experience. Yeah. And so as you get more experience, you level up and you get more skills and more things you can do, or maybe you improve your basic stats from you know the practice. And so that's really interesting. We'll maybe get to that here in a, a little bit. And there are other ways you could gain experience as well, but the main one is definitely through failing <laughs> the yeah. moves you attempt. I, I certainly have gotten a lot of... A boost. You've got Avis so. very, very much yeah. more experienced by feeling a lot on something. I think currently in our recording, I don't think we've released much of this, but I am perhaps a full level ahead of the rest of the party because I just have such a tendency to fail on things, um, which means I have more abilities, but it, it certainly has made for dramatic moments. Yes, it has. Um, so we should talk about those dramatic moments a little bit in a general sense, which is that you know, on a below seven, a six or below, it's a failure. And so things can just really uh, go wrong, go bad fast. Um, on a seven to nine, it's what's called more of a mixed success, um, which depending upon the move can have different uh, connotations, right? Yeah. Um, but basically a mixed success is just what that says. You You accomplish what you're wanting to do, but there could be consequences or or maybe you don't accomplish as much as you wanted to or something some about it goes wrong right like right. if you're using magic and it's a partial success you can end up having something go wrong right a glitch as we we will get to here so with that basic explanation of moves out of the way uh we can walk through the basic moves the moves that every type of hunter every has hunter. available to them and the first as we were saying is act under pressure that's trying to do something uh, when, well, there's some sort of psychological or other pressure involved. You know, uh, 
we have had situations at this point that are, you know, live in the feed of, you know, taking shots with a sniper rifle from a distance where that's not hand-to-hand combat. Your tough score doesn't come into play, but you do have to act under pressure because that's a, especially in the instances we've seen so far in our rails end sessions is that, you know, there's a lot that could go wrong. And so you need to be very cool if you're going to get a good shot off. Exactly. And um, that's what the act under pressure rule is, is trying to keep your wits about you while you're in a difficult situation. And that's something where in the rails end group, Agent Erickson excels at. His cool is very high. And so if you need someone uh, to take that shot, well, he's a good choice. Or if you need something to, somebody to drive the car in a reckless manner. That's another instance I think we've already seen um, where he's had to act under pressure in order to successfully navigate a car chase. At, well, right. it wasn't quite a car chase in this first one, but <laughs> there was some chasing. Yes. Um, and so you want someone with, some, with a, a bonus to their cool for that. Yeah. Um, then one which... For a variety of reasons, some on me, some on the players perhaps, but also just the nature of the stories, is a move we have not seen as much in the Rails and Mysteries yet, which is the help out move. Yeah, we don't see a lot of that one. Um, I, I think often help out is what it sounds like. You are contributing to somebody else's role. You're giving them aid. Um which means you have to be in a situation where it would make sense for your character to be able to do something to help out. And we haven't had a lot of instances of that. Although, you know, spoiler alert, although I'm not going to actually spoil this because I won't, won't give any details. In a session we recently recorded, but, you know, that's in the, in the queue to be released. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some very unsuccessful helping out. Yeah, that's the other thing about it. Like, <laughs> if you fail at it, you expose yourself to some of that danger if it's a failure. And even if you do succeed, if the person who's doing the move, the the main move you're helping with, is rolls too low, like, say, mm-hmm. rolls a four total, your help out isn't going to be able to turn the tide, right. even if you're extremely successful. And the way helping out works mechanically within the rules of the game is that if you are successful on a help out roll, which again is seven or above for at least some measure of success, um, then the person you're trying to help gets an additional plus one to their roll. So that means that if one of your partners in your monster hunting team rolled a six to... You can boost it to a seven. And then you at least get a mixed success. Or if you're partner rolled a nine you could get it to a 10 which would and be then a it's full a com- success. yeah then it's a full success so those are really the pressure points for the help out move um yeah. but if you fail a help out roll it, it's at least not a minus to the hunter you're trying to help but it does expose you to trouble or danger and it doesn't provide any assistance yeah um okay then the next move is the investigate a mystery move. Which we do a lot of. And I think pretty much everybody playing Monster of the Week does because it's one of the main ways you collect information about what's going on in a mystery. Um, It's sharp-based and uh, you're essentially looking for clues. What you might be able to find in a location is very 
dependent on narrative. At least that's sort of been my understanding yeah. so far. And the thing about the investigative mystery move is it's, you know, a plus sharp and on a 10 or more, you get to, as to use the jargon of the game, hold two questions. And on a mixed success, a seven to nine, you only get to hold one question. And there are uh, questions that are provided in the rule set um, that a hunter gets to ask based on their role. They get to pick, you know, either one or two from the list. And those questions are, what happened here? What sort of creature is it? What can it do? What can it hurt? Or what can hurt it? Where did it go? What was it going to do? And what is being concealed here? Now, for narrative reasons, as you're saying, sometimes one or more of those questions don't make sense. Yeah. And sometimes for narrative reasons, there could be um, reasons why you would want to allow more open-ended questions or questions that, uh, you know, are invented by the player slash hunter on the spot based on the circumstances. Um, But that's, you know, a a starting point. And so the idea is, yes. And so based on your role, you get more or fewer questions answered. Yeah. And so those questions are asked of the keeper, which we'll get to the keeper's role here in a little bit. And, you know, the keeper has to answer honestly, but that's also bounded by the narrative so yeah, sometimes there's information that it's it's difficult to say that you would get that from what you're looking at. And so you can't just like stand in the middle of the street of Rails End and say, "I want to investigate a mystery." You know, roll a t- natural twelve and be like, "What sort of creature is it?" Well, you know, nothing's happened. There's yet. no evidence. You have nothing. Yeah. yeah, you have no evidence to investigate. So you can only make the move when there's something to investigate, and you can only find answers to the questions yeah that would be there yeah so that is investigative mystery it comes up a lot it Um, does it really does then there's the one that you guys are not so good at and that's the kick some ass move yeah we're not great at that um it's essentially anytime you're in a position to do harm to a monster or minion some threatening creature and they have the opportunity to do damage to you as well. Um, the keeper doesn't ever roll. So in combat, when you say you're going to kick some ass, that is the time for both you to deal some damage, some harm to your opponent, and the time when they have the opportunity to deal harm to you. And so low rolls on kick some ass can result in you being harmed without necessarily harming your opponent. Right. And this is very much a uh, hand-to-hand combat, or at least mutually exposed to harm kind of yeah, scenario. This isn't shooting with a sniper rifle, unless someone's shooting back at you with back a sniper rifle, I guess. Yeah. Um, In a sniper battle, I suppose, it would definitely be some kicks and ass, but otherwise. Right, and... For kicks and ass, once again, seven and above is a success. But if you roll 10 or above, you get these extra effects. And just to run through those is you can gain advantage by taking bonuses to future rolls, either yourself or to another hunter. You can inflict terrible harm, which is doing extra harm to your target. Um, You can suffer less harm because, once again, this is a mutual exchange of blows kind of scenario. So it's presumed that if you're trying to kick some ass, you may hurt it, but it's going to hurt you, 
which is an important point I want to return to here in a bit. Um, and then the other thing that you can choose to do, you can only choose one of these if you roll 10 plus on a kick some ass, is you force them where you want them. Which is, which is a very handy one. Yes, because that allows you to trap a monster or something like that. Whereas, you know, otherwise it might just be running rampant through the neighborhood or something. Yeah. It's one of the ways you can control combat. Um, a high roll on some kicks and asses. Very handy. And but as we've mentioned, we don't have a lot of tough to go around in the party. So um, it kind of limits this move. Except in my case, I have... We'll, we'll get to some of the player playbook sort of things, but I, I do get to do some decent kicks and ass rolls because I don't use tough when I kick some ass. But um, exactly, we'll get to that later. That's a spooky playbook sort of thing. That's a spooky thing, and, um, which is good. I'm glad I took it because otherwise we'd be in a world of hurt. And this is one thing where I guess I should just um, mention is that we you know, are talking about harm and taking harm, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but, th- you know, if you, like me, have come from a bit of a background in Dungeons & Dragons, and you have these, you know, creatures or sometimes players who have massive amounts of hit points, as they're called there, yeah, and you're fighting with swords, and, you know, you can do eight hit points of damage to this monster, and the monster has, you know, 350 hit points, oh, good God, does that take a while? Yeah, there's a lot of bookkeeping involved in that kind of combat, which we don't need here. And monster, luckily we don't have. Yeah, Monster of the Week contemplates battles being fast and brutal. Yeah. <laughs> They're over with soon, one way or another. And it's also extraordinarily dangerous to just go toe-to-toe with a monster for very long, although, you know... Particularly if you don't know how to defeat it. Right. Like, you, you don't want to engage with something that you don't know anything about. Yes, exactly. And there are some types of hunters who are better able to do that for reasons we'll get into. Um, but yeah, the kick some ass and the, the harm uh, taking is very different in Monster of the Week as opposed to some of the uh, I mean, more crunchy RPG systems out there. Yeah, a hunter can take, what is it, seven damage before yes. they are dead? And before that, they become unstable, where they're going to continue to take harm, even if they're not in combat. Until, until they, they get, get medical, sort of care. medical care. Yeah. Um, so it can be very easy to suddenly slide into a rather desperate situation when you take some serious harm. Right. Um, so you need to know what you're up to and what you're up against before you jump into a battle like that. Um, but then the next move that everyone gets is manipulate someone. Yes, manipulate someone comes up quite a bit. Um, and it's essentially whenever you're talking to people. And that's um, modified by charm. And that's modified by charm. And you might want to ask them to do something or want to get information from them that they're reluctant to give to you. And that's when you would roll to manipulate someone. And you can, on a 10 plus, uh, the person you're trying to manipulate will do what you're asking them to do for the reason you give them. Um, which is wonderful when you you manage to roll that it it makes things go much smoother and there is a little bit of a catch there in that as the rule book says if you ask too much they'll tell you the minimum it would take for them to do it yes or if there's no way they do it and so you can't ask a a, you can't ask ridiculous yes and so the keeper then says no (laughs) yeah basically as always there's there's 
things that people aren't going to know, right? Like there's this limitation of information and ability that these people are going to have just because they are not the, the embodiment of the keeper, right? Like they can't just give you information that they didn't have access to. Right. They can't get you into a location they don't have a reason to have access to. Right. Um, so on and so forth. There's limitations based on narrative. Exactly. Narrative. And a couple of interesting things about the manipulate someone move, at least to me, is that, first of all, you can use the manipulate someone move on other hunters. Yeah, it works slightly differently. And it gets um, a little it, it, complicated. Yeah. Um, or because you can't force another hunter to do something, at least not in the concept of, uh, of the Monster of the Week game. But... Essentially, you depending, can incentivize exactly, and the rules yeah. incentivize a hunter that's being manipulated by another hunter to let them be manipulated on a good. If role. the role is good, and on the other hand, if the role is bad, the rules there's something to incentivize them not doing exactly. And basically, the way it does that is with experience or with bonuses on future roles. Yep. So that is interesting. Oh, and I guess I should also add, if you've been following this, is that generally speaking. In the Monster of the Week system, you can't manipulate a monster, right? So you can't yeah. go Unless to... there's something specific to a monster um, that says that it would be allowed to be manipulated. Like, you can assume that you could not manipulate a monster. So you can't go talk to, you know, the horrible guard that's, you know, a vampire or something and say, Hey, buddy, you should let me in because I'm here to uh, work on the plumbing. Right, like you can't yeah, manipulate no, the vampire. Like that won't work. Yeah, because uh, that's what they are. They're they're like they're, they're devoted to being a monster. <laughs> yeah. But, now you may be able to the trick swamp them. Thing, yeah, the swamp thing isn't going to be like, oh yes, you make a very good point. I'll like, stop eating the village. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's yeah. not how it works. Yeah. Um, that's not how monsters operate in this world. Um, then the next move is to protect someone, which is another one that um, we haven't really had come up much. Not much. It comes up a little bit more in the future and will from there because uh, you guys ran through the first mystery that I created, um, taking shockingly little harm, at, at least did. shocking to me. And so there was limited need to protect someone, um, which is, is fine, right? Like, you know, we, we have to figure this thing out. Um, but that's a move where it's just what it sounds like. You're trying to protect someone else and it usually will result in you taking harm in their place. Yes. Um, yeah. But that can be important if you're trying to protect someone who is critical. If you're trying to protect a victim if, or a, a hurt hunter or a hunter that's busy doing something else. Or a hunter that needs to do something else that's critical to dispatching this monster. Sure. Um, there's a lot of reasons why you might want to protect someone. And this is uh, a plus tough rule. And uh, as with all of these, you know, seven and above is a success, but between uh, seven, well, when, when you get to 10 plus, um, you can, you do it better. And so you can suffer less harm. Um, you can focus impending danger on you instead of whoever the focus of the danger was. You can actually inflict harm on the enemy. You can hold the enemy back or the options that are listed. Um, basically, um, protect someone you use when your objective isn't to hurt the enemy, but to protect someone from being a victim. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you're trying to just attack the monster, that's kick some ass. Kick some ass. Kick some ass. Um, Ooh, then there's a good one. Read a bad situation. 
Yeah, that one comes up a lot, too. And this is a sharp um, roll. It is. And it applies to far more scenarios than you might think of initially. Like, reading a bad situation is certainly something that comes up when you're in that showdown with a monster, right? Yeah. When you're trying to figure out in the final battle what you need to be doing, what you might be missing, that sort of thing. But it comes up all the time in other scenarios as well. Um, with more minor sort of dangers it can come up. And this is another one that's kind of like investigative mystery where not only is it sharp based, but there's a list of questions that you can ask. And depending upon how well you roll, you get to ask more questions or fewer questions. Uh, to read a bad situation on a 10 plus, you get to ask three of the, in, the read a bad situation questions. Whereas on a seven to nine, you only get to ask one. And those questions are, at least according to the rule books, and again, you know, sometimes circumstances make one or more of these questions irrelevant or may make it appropriate to ask different questions. But the, the standard list of questions is, what's my best way in? What's my best way out? Are there any dangers we haven't noticed? What's the biggest threat? What's most vulnerable to me? And what's the best way to protect the victims? And victims, well can be interpreted in a few different ways. But um, yeah, a lot of those questions are extremely helpful when you are trying to figure out a situation. And then for a little caveat to this one, which I will confess, um, I've recently realized we've been applying only irregularly in our play so far, and we're going to have to get better at, is mm -hmm. that if you act on the answers, oh, you, you get a get plus a one, one uh, while the information is relevant. Yeah, and we haven't had too many scenarios where it's seemed to be a direct, like, sort of acting on the information. But, yeah, you're right. We do need to be watching that more. Yes, and that's one of those where, you know, you get in the heat of the moment and it's, it's exciting. And even for a very stripped-down rule set like Monster of the Week has, sometimes you do forget something like that. So Yeah. Um, so I know for a fact we have, so please, you know, well, actually, please add us on that. You know, raise a, raise a storm. If you're listening yeah, that'd be you know, great. It, that'd honestly, be awesome. if there's enough people who care about it enough that uh, they want to tell us that we're doing that wrong, feel free. Yes, because we realize we have, um, at least in a couple of instances, um, and we're, we're going to uh, be, be diligent to address that for future episodes that we record, which, well, we've got several in the can now. So you know, there's a few in the, in the backlog still where we're maybe not getting that one perfectly right. All the time. Oh, yeah, there's plenty to come that I'm sure we've missed pieces of. Yeah. Um, then there's the next move everybody has, which is use magic. Yeah, um, and I think people forget that everybody can do it technically. And in uh, some updates to the rules, there's an option to sort of switch this around a little bit so that instead of using magic as we're describing it here, you can have different weird moves. Um, but we won't worry about that for what we're discussing now, because for right for the way we're playing the game, we're not using the additional weird moves that have been added in an expansion to the Monster of the Week system. So we're just talking about the basic use magic rule, which yep. is a move that's a plus weird. And, and I use it a lot because my character is weird and particularly in a way that is magical. I use a lot of spells to do things, and that's essentially what use magic is. Um, there's a lot of specific things it can do. Um, and then there's also more general things that you let me get away with um, following <laughs> under the purview of use magic. Right. 
Um, and once again, a seven or above is at least some version of a success on so use magic on a 10 and above. It just works without issues and you accomplish the effects you're setting out to accomplish on yes. a seven to nine. It works imperfectly. Perfectly, yeah. You know, you get your effect, but you also get a glitch of some kind. And then the, the rules list off some of those. Um, uh, some of them are like just attract attention to yourself. Um, it has a shortened duration. It doesn't work quite as you intended it. The effect is weakened. Yeah. Um, and I can, you want to read them? You can. Well, I can. I was going to say, I, I think that, you know, really reading off all of them is probably more because these are longer lists. Magic. Yeah. It's a versatile move. Lists. Yeah, it's a versatile move. So there's a lot of things that you can do with Use Magic. We certainly, um, thus far in the Spooklight arc, have not done all of them yet. Um, no. And honestly, for the ones we've recorded through, we have not even begun to exhaust the possibilities of using magic because in the Monster of the Week system, using magic is very versatile and you can accomplish a it's, lot with it. And I think some of the things that a player does or doesn't do when they're using magic is sort of up to their own thematic choices. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things that are allowable on that list that I don't really see Avis using. Um, so I, I think in some ways the list is a guideline and you might add or subtract things for a specific character. Right. And based on the world that you have built or are building yeah. together. Yeah. Um, but I guess one of the big caveats there is magic is in the Monster of the Week system is very powerful and very versatile, and it's available to everyone, whether magical or not. But one of the reasons those who are not so magical may choose not to try to use magic is there can also be very dire consequences on a if failure. You up. Yeah, uh, magic is very dangerous in Monster of the Week, and a failure is often a big deal. Then. Those are the end of the basic moves that are just simply straightforward rolls. There's one other, which is called big magic, which is sort of falls under the um, use magic rubric, but it's different. We have not dealt with that yet, even in the episodes we have not released. Um, I imagine it might come up in the future. I just don't know when. Right. Um, and, you know, a big magic is, well, it's a big spell. It is more than, you know, Just Avis Osborne move. flipping through her book. Yes. Yeah. It uh, is something that requires preparation. It is an effect that is so great that it's not something that can be determined just by rolling really well. Um, it, it, it is something beyond the scope of use magic. And so you and, may need extra people. You may need rare supplies to make it happen, you may need extra research. You know, you may have to do it on the equinox. <laughs> yeah, there may be like special that. timing or special locations, so on and so forth. It, it you may have to chant for 18 hours, you know, something. Yeah. It, there's something more to it. So that is, um, you know, something we haven't come to yet. Yeah, um, but it, it probably will come up, so it's good to hit Um But that's fun. And then we talked about unique hunter moves because those that we just went through are moves that everyone gets. Those are the so-called yes. basic moves. No matter what your role is in the party of hunters, you can do all of those moves. Um, maybe then, better, maybe worse, but yeah. you get to do all of them. But then there are specialties. There's 
playbooks. These are the things that make your character a specific role to the hunters. It, it gives you a selection of moves that are unique to your character. Um, and so we could probably roll through those. And you know what? I'm going to mention all of these from the original Monster of yeah. the Week manual. But we should probably only go through the ones that are particularly Yeah, I'll, we'll just mention the ones that aren't being played, and we'll talk a little bit more about the ones that are being are played. Being played. Yeah. And once again, the Monster of the Week book loves going uh, in alphabetical order, which I very that much respect. Always. It helps. And so the first is The Chosen. We don't have a Chosen no. in our party. So they're fun, but we don't have one. Then there's The Crooked. And oh, do we have a Crooked in our party. Mm-hmm. Um, the Crooked is someone who came to a more supernatural life through um, a less savory and less legal avenue <laughs> and so yeah Aaron Aronson is a a crooked and um as a crooked and he's a a particular type of crooked obviously you you inject a lot of flavor to your character based on how you play the character but also what your um, the, story is yeah the backstory and the moves you choose and so uh, you know uh Aaron and, and Matt's not on the line here but I think you you would uh view him as a little bit more of a charlatan, which is yeah. a background that he's selected. And, you know, you get extra moves. And you also, as a, well, as any type of hunter, but as a uh, crooked, you have specific problems, <laughs> as you would expect. Um, you know, people from your past or things from your past that can interfere with you. And yeah. they, well, we haven't experienced those much for Aaron Aronson yet, but we're about to. Yes, it'll pop up as the story is unfolding a little bit. In fact, if we if we um, record the or if we release this in the schedule we anticipate, the very next episode that's going to drop in the podcast feed, um, Aaron Aronson has some issues (laughs) from his past. Yeah, Um, but continuing, yeah, haunting him a bit, you might say. Um, Continuing on then alphabetically, the divine. We ain't got a divine. Nope. No they're fun they're good we're not playing one next up and going alphabetically the expert um we don't have an expert although um i will say that as a a, a bystander as monsters of the week calls them or an npc non-player character as a lot of other gaming systems call them uh professor professor jane lackler was loosely inspired by the expert uh play type or playbook um, mm-hmm. Although I think you'll notice if you follow Jane Lackler's adventures, um, she may not always be a very good expert. So she probably wouldn't be a uh, a kick-ass she monster dreams hunter. Of exactly. She's not quite up to the level of a hunter. She yeah. Just wishes she. Lackler's was. a wannabe expert, but yeah. she's fun. Yeah. Uh, next up, alphabetically, is the flake. Yes. We don't have a flake. We don't have a flake, but sometimes there's overlap with our crooked um aaron does have some things that i think he behaves occasionally like a flake yeah yeah just that Um, little flavor flake flavor yeah there's a flake flavor to me um next up in terms of the the hunter types and the playbooks is the initiate and we have one of those we got one of those gwyneth appleton is an initiate an initiate is uh a member of a sect a monster hunting sect one of the advantages of being in a monster hunting sect is you get certain 
attributes, you get certain bonuses, you may get certain equipment. And, you know, in the Monster of the Week parlance, you get special moves, which we've seen some of that with Gwyneth. Now, one of the downsides to being an initiate is your sect that you're a member of usually has some de- some some problematic aspects. Yeah, or at the very least has things that constrain you, right? Like you have to report to someone, right? Anytime when you have that organization, they have desires that you have to think about as well. And you if might you not always want to do what they want. And you also may have people reporting to you, which yeah. if you've ever been someone's supervisor in an employment situation, never mind a high stress situation like hunting supernatural monsters, like having people you have to manage is a pain. And so that can be a problem too for an initiate. Um, But but, initiates sort of have a bit of magical mumbo jumbo around them sometimes. There's, there's a few different types of initiates and I don't think we've seen all what Gwyneth can do with that. No, we have Um, not. But, but more of that will into play later. Yes, that's coming. Yeah. Um, next hunter type is the monstrous. Um, we don't got one. We don't have one of those. They they yeah. are you know part monster. Um, there's some excellent podcasts out there doing actual plays where there are monstrous characters. Um, we are not one of those podcasts. We do not have a monstrous character. We also um, don't have a mundane, which is next. Yep, the mundane is next, and they're a lot of fun. I actually. Uh, again, mundanes can be a lot of fun because that's just an ordinary human being who, for whatever reason, He's is hunting monsters. Yeah. And they often get in a lot of trouble and they're a lot of fun, but we don't have one. Nope. Then there is the professional. We got one of those. Yes, that's Agent Erickson. And a professional is, well, just what it sounds like. Someone whose uh, job involves hunting for monsters or investigating the supernatural. Yeah. Um. And there's, again, there's different archetypes for this. All of them tend to have high cool scores, however, and certainly our Agent Erickson has very high cool scores and is very good at acting under pressure or doing things that require a calm head. Now, one of the advantages, and oh, this is stuff where we've only begun to see it come into play in what's live on the feed now, is that the nice thing about being a professional is you have some sort of agency backing you up and providing resources and help. However, the other problem is you have some kind of agency demanding accountability and maybe being unhappy with you whenever you screw things up. Yeah. They have things that they want you to do and when you don't do them or when you have too many casualties in doing that, it can become problematic. Yes, indeed. And we see more of that as we go along, I know. Yeah, but we haven't seen that much with the spook light, but in stuff we've already recorded, um, it, it comes up. Yes, it does. Yes, it, <laughs> it does. It really does. Uh, I imagine there's more of it in our future. It's not Yes. Uh, then there is the spell slinger. We don't have one. And, you know, it's sort of a, well, it's, it's a wizard sort of thing. They're fun. Uh, Wizard, witch, whatever you want to call it. There's sort of a... Essentially, you're really good at using magic, and there's moves related to that. Yes. And then there's the spooky. Which we do have. I play the spooky. So Avis, Uh, she's spooky. She is a spooky. Um, It gives a number of different abilities most of the time. It's sort of... 
rather than just having spells and being a spellcaster, which Avis is, um, there's something deeper to it, some sort of connection to something dark and powerful. Um, a, a spooky might have all sorts of different backgrounds and connections to the supernatural. Um, and I, I don't want to give too much away about what I think that is with Avis, but I, I know what sorts of abilities that, that is given her, of course, and those are her spe- spooky special moves. Um, so when she uses telepathy or um, is in combat, is kicking some ass and uses weird instead of tough, that is spooky moves in play. Yeah, whenever you're bringing down the uh, magical hammer, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the sort of telekinesis uh, attacks instead yeah. of using my own muscle. But of course, power comes with a price. Yes, and that's where the spooky dark side tags come in. And for all this great power you have, you have drawbacks. Um, I, I th- those will show up in future episodes with Avis. So I don't want to give too much away about what those are. But some examples that um, they have are like need for violence. Uh, Bouts of depression, addiction, mood swings, rage, self-destruction, all sorts of different things. Um, nasty things. And yes. Spookies have to choose three of those um, in their creation in order to essentially trade for their power. And, uh, you know, I guess it depends upon the narrative. At least my impression of Avis has always been that she didn't make a trade so much as this no. is just the deal she was born with. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of mystery. I think Avis doesn't understand all of why she has this power and why there are these drawbacks. I, I think that at some point there might be some story about that, but I, I don't think that this was something she certainly chose. This isn't like a deal with the devil, and that's... I don't, I don't think even that is necessarily what the spooky has flavor-wise. It's a lot of sort of haunted individuals, something extra that is beyond their power or choice. Right. And then we get to the final uh, playbook in the original volume of Monster of the Week, which is The Rond. And that is um, a relatively ordinary person who has lost someone close to them to the supernatural and as a result is on a mission to, uh, well, uh, hunt down (laughs) and seek vengeance, typically. We don't have a Rond. No, uh, but I could see how th- there are ways for hunters to, say, change their playbook as they're leveling up. And I mean, if something went wrong, you could see quite clearly how somebody could shift to being a wrong. I don't think it's one of the harder ones to see. Yeah, well, yes, because there could be someone close to you that is lost, you know, yeah. as you're playing the game even. Oh, um, yeah, I think it's one of those that it has a strong sort of story. To it. Right. Um, very much so. Um, and so there's also a whole mess of other playbooks that are in the Tome of Mysteries that is available that we're not going to get into because we could go on for three or more hours if we did that. Oh, um, yeah. And we don't have that kind of time. Like we're, we're giving you a beefy sort of bonus episode here, but we're not going to take up three hours of your time for that. And there's also a whole bunch of homebrews you can find out there on the interwebs. Okay. Uh, that people have created some, you know, I like some, I don't like, but the big thing is it doesn't matter if I like it, if you're playing it and enjoying it, like knock yourself out. Yeah. go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so each of these different hunter types has a unique set of 
moves that are not always available to other hunters beyond the basic moves. And yeah. we discussed um, experience and marking experience, which happens when you fail a roll and also if you accomplish certain uh, objectives at the end of a mystery. Um, are, are the main which, ways you get experience. Which you'll see some of that, I think, in our sort of between mystery interlude, which is coming up. Yes. I think we talk about whether we get experience from the end of the mystery. And we should also probably, while we talk about failing roles and playbooks and limited resources and stats, luck. Yeah, luck is such a big one, um, particularly because it can have effects on your story long term. And we didn't have anybody need to use luck in the Spooklight arc. And we don't for a little bit. But um, it happens. Eventually, yeah, some luck is needed. And so what does Sometimes luck do? Luck is essentially you can say when you're going to roll something or after you've rolled something. Typically um, after. <laughs> typically after. If it's something that you need to succeed and you didn't roll for that, like you can say, I spend a luck point, and it's like you rolled a 12. Um, you could also use it to avoid damage from an injury. So if you're about to die, like that hit would kill you. Um, you could use luck and avoid some of that. But you um, only have so many luck points. Yeah, you only have, I think it's seven. Seven luck points, uh, which makes sense. Yes. Um, um, and once they're and gone, you're just, you're doomed, first you're doomed, of all. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, the keeper gets to do all sorts of nasty things to you. And it doesn't just get to, is obliged to. Yes. As you're getting, starting to run out of luck, it's, it's time to start thinking about, is your character going to survive this? It, it, what is the end of your character? Um, because once you're out, you may want to just out. retire somewhere safe at that point. Yeah. 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 Um, which is actually one of the level up enhancements you can choose. <laughs> yes. It's one of the higher level up, <laughs> right? Like that is one that you can do after you've leveled up five times. Yes. Right? That, that is one of the advanced. Improvements. But one of the things I kind of enjoy about the monster of the week system, and we haven't got, gotten an opportunity to really experience yet in the gameplay, but I'm very much looking forward to it, and I, just as a warning, I guess, is that whenever a luck move is used, there are consequences in-game to the character. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah. things have to balance out, um, and that happens, right? And there's a di it, it, the way that the form that takes is different for every type of hunter and is going to be different yes. in different contexts, but there are costs to using a luck point. Yeah, I just know the cost of the spooky, but I, I do know there is a specific cost. Um, and those costs for, start off smaller and grow larger as you use more and more luck. Yeah, as you use more luck, things get worse for you. And so, I don't know, did we leave out anything important on how Monster of the Week works? I guess we need to describe what a keeper is and what the whole idea of yes, a mystery and, is. Yeah, I think those are the two things we, we still need to do, because we've talked a lot about the hunters who do a lot in the, our narrative, but really the whole narrative is done by the keeper, by you. Um, you make up the structure of the story and give us the descriptions of the locations and so on and so forth. There isn't a story without a keeper. Even though the, the hunters are the ones who then sort of lead the way in telling the story, um, mm -hmm. unlike some other RPG systems where... You know, there is a dungeon that you are exploring and the game master has stocked the dungeon with beasties and there is a treasure to be won and stuff like that. 
um, as a keeper, all I do is I sort of create the world. Um, I create a big bad and maybe some, some minions of the big bad. And then there's things that are happening. And they're probably bad things because there's this horrible monster that's trying to accomplish some unsavory objective. Or some group that's attempting to do something unsavory or some sort of event that's coming that needs to be stopped or any number of things, right? But there's a, for every mystery, essentially, there's a timeline of terrible things that will occur if the hunters don't intervene. And and that really is what moves a mystery along. Right. Um, and as a keeper, you create the, the setting and the, the, the monster in the timeline, but then it's all driven by the hunters. And if the hunters do nothing, if they just want to sit at the bar and, you know, sip some beers or maybe some coffees or something, um, all this horrible stuff unfolds in the background. And yeah, it's dire. But of course, being a hunter, you're different than the ordinary person. (laughs) More capable of figuring out what's going on, more capable of interceding than your average person. And also uh, more driven, perhaps, as well. Yes, we have motivations that make us want to be involved. And I, I guess this is something where I will just put in a plug for any um, aspiring keepers out there. Um, it really is a less is more sort of thing because is. This, this is a game. What's wonderful about this game is it's about the hunters in the world you've created. It's not about forcing them down a particular path. And so you really need to come up with a place. you got to have a place. You need to come up with an adversary, a monster, a big bad of some variety. And then the timeline, the the countdown, as it's called in the Monster of the Week uh, books. Um, But things that will happen but for the hunter's intervention. But the thing is, the whole point is the hunters are going to intervene. Yes, you can never plan really for all the things a hunter might do to intercede. So rather than trying to do it, you just figure out what would happen if they didn't and go from that. And then you improvise and you have dice to help you and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's a very fun and easy to run system. At least I haven't run it, but you seem to. Well, you need to run it sometime. I, I think we could have I some do. fun I with do. that. Um, but, but yeah, it's a fun system to run and it's very different. And this is, you know, no knock on the crunchier systems. Lordy knows I love them. I, I oh, yeah, play I them. Um, I've yeah. written, um, well, we have together written modules you can buy off of Drive Through RPG, Orc and Elf. Um, yep. You know, there's wonderful uh, things there to purchase. There's one up now as we're recording this, another one fixing to go up, and then several mm-hmm. more in development. You know, we love those yep. crunchy systems. Oh, we do. Yeah, it's they're very fun to play in their own. Right? Yeah, not they're bagging on them. Different. Yeah, not bagging on them at all. But Monster of the Week is a different kind of system, and one that I think lends itself very well to actual play podcasts and um also something which I, I guess we should get to is something we've heard about is the why the ozarks or what's the ozarks or something like yeah. that yeah um it's something where i think even i mean two of our players i don't think have even been to the ozarks so it, it's one of those things that um you might not know much about our location and you're probably curious about why we decided to do it here and how we came upon this location, this story, this storyline that we're trying to tell. And, you know, that's one where, um, as I mentioned at the outset of this shockingly long conversation, 
Um, You got me turned on to the Adventure Zone's Amnesty arc, Mm -hmm. and I really loved it. But what I loved even more than the the laughs in this story was how it really told the story of a place and of of Kepler, West Virginia. And, And I think the McElroys did it very affectionately, very lovingly, and very knowledgeably. And I enjoyed that a great deal. And as someone who grew up in the Missouri Ozarks and has lived out of the Ozarks for most of my adult life while returning frequently for family reasons and and visits, uh, and now feel lucky enough to have returned to the Ozarks, um, there's a very special hold of the place, uh, but also, in my experience, limited um, media out there. Because yeah. the Ozarks are smaller than Appalachia. They're smaller than most of the other regions. There's not a huge population in the Ozarks. And, you know, culturally, um, there's a lot of the Ozarks culture that's being lost, even as it's still hanging on. Um, you know, the forces of satellite television and the Internet and, and everything else, you know, are sort of eroding the Ozarks as a culture, even if the hills still remain as a place. And whenever I first heard the Amnesty, well, not when I first heard, but as I got into the Amnesty podcast arc from the Adventure Zone, I was like, man, this would be an awesome thing to do in the Ozarks, where where I grew up and where I now call home. And that was something that was just sort of, well, gnawing at me as something that we should do at some point. And then you were nice enough to be willing to do that with me. Yeah, I mean, I don't have as much knowledge of the Ozarks as you. I, I visited a lot growing up, of course, um, and I'm far more aware than, say, your average person of the Ozarks and what their culture is and what their stories are and all that. But I'm, I'm still learning a lot about it. Um, and I think that initially when we were talking about doing this, we thought of it as having characters who were of the Ozarks, not just telling a story um, about people coming to the Ozarks and hunting monsters, but actual monster hunters from the Ozarks. And it was a good idea. I liked those characters that you came up with. It was a, a very interesting concept, and I think it would have been a interesting story. But then we realized um, who was going to play those characters who who did we have that would have the knowledge to actually pull that off and who was going to listen to that that's a different story right that the audience is different in that and it also wouldn't uh be as interesting potentially to people outside of the ozarks that would be very much an inside story right like talking to ourselves telling a story about the ozarks from the perspective of people from the Ozarks. And telling it to people, people in the Ozarks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I don't think what we were actually going for. The whole idea of doing this in the Missouri Ozarks as, as our setting um, was in some ways to record and promote um, something that hasn't been looked at in a long time. Um, and so then we sort of changed gears and thought about characters who would be coming into the Ozarks from outside and who we would like to tell the story with in that regard. And so then Um, we did some recruiting. Yeah, we did some recruiting. (laughs) And we were very fortunate. We got, um, well, a couple of additions then. 
Um, yes. One, Isaac, who plays uh, Agent Erickson from Minnesota, who brings an upper yeah. Midwest sensibility uh, to Ozark mount, mountain monster hunting. And then Matt, all the way from Essex in England, who brings a very different sensibility to playing Aaron Aronson. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's been fascinating to see particularly how um, Aaron Aronson, this Brit in the middle of the Ozarks, has um, <laughs> illuminated certain aspects of Ozark culture. It's, it's been extremely interesting. It's, it's a lens to see this area through that I, I didn't even expect how sharply that would bring into relief and certainly exposing some blind spots that i've had in my world building as i've created this town of rails in because there's things where it's never occurred to me to have to fill in that gap right like yeah it's it's been interesting to see it and you know we've been talking a lot about this but i guess we should briefly touch on you know what are the ozarks yeah actually more finitely what what are the ozarks and who are these people that we're talking yeah and about? so the ozarks are well I, I mean i guess you could call them a mountain range although they're very old uh, much older mm-hmm. than the rockies or the appalachians in a geological sense uh, but old mountains uh, that have been weathered down to where now there's you know mostly hills although big hills. they're very Rolling big hills very rough terrain yeah. and uh, the ozarks are predominantly in southern missouri and northern arkansas with a bit into Kansas and Oklahoma. And the Ozarks are um, a peculiar place. Like they're, they're certainly the origin of some of America's hillbilly stereotypes, um, along with Appalachia. The Ozarks were settled in terms of Western settlers looking you know, after, uh, well, as the Native American population was beginning to get pushed out um, the Ozarks were largely but not exclusively settled by people from Appalachia, which was mostly people of Scots-Irish descent, if you're into those sorts mm-hmm. of things. And that brought a unique culture that is related to the Appalachian culture, but has certainly yeah, evolved there's differently. Yeah. Um, there's uh, also, and we may see this depending upon how some of y'all's adventures go in Rails End, um, there are certainly uh, German families who immigrated back uh, roughly around the Civil War uh, to the area. There are Italians, Italian families who immigrated, uh, French families who immigrated. And there are some French families who were in the area before the Louisiana Purchase and before uh, the Ozarks became part of the United States. So there's a surprising, I think, to people who are not from the area, there's a surprising amount of diversity within the Ozarks, although, um, you know, notably, that's a lot of diversity of, you know, different European heritage backgrounds. Um, increasingly, yes, and we've seen true. this some in the uh, the podcast so far, there's more uh, immigration into the area, maybe, than people imagine. That is something that is yeah. occasionally or even frequently uncomfortable, I think for people who have been in the Ozarks for a long time? There's a lot of old families, and I think that that comes out sometimes. Um, Just because change is hard, particularly when you're very used to being around people who you know the stories of going back to your own great-great-grandparents, right? (laughs) Like, if if you can tell the story of who owns that land and who's lived there and who built that house and all of that. It, it makes it difficult to see that pass out of the hands of somebody 
you know what. And, you know, you, I, I can tell you that from just, you know, having grown up here and now living here again is that you will often have directions given as, well, yeah, you need to turn by where old man Smith used to live. Um, and you say, well, when did old man Smith live there? Well, I, he died. Um, it, it was after the war, but I, I think, well, no, Lyndon Johnson was president then. And yeah, and, and you're like, this is so far back. Um, <laughs> so you turn by where old man Smith used to live. Great. But, you know, there's a memory of that. And, you know, and I will find myself saying things about that, referring to locations in ways that go back to decades before I was born. Yeah. Um, and I think that people, I, I think people think that isn't somehow fictional, right? Like, I think that it's shown in media sometimes the, these old um, names for places in these cu cultures and communities that have long memories. And I think sometimes people take that as just being storytelling. Um, but, it, but it's not. It is real life. It is true about some of these locations, particularly I found, at least, in the Ozarks. Yes, because uh, one thing about the Ozarks, and at least many of the uh, groups that populated it is we have been oral storytellers for a very long time and that's something that i've discovered as i've moved about the country a bit is maybe not unique to the ozarks it's not like we're the only storytellers out there no. but it's not not everyone not every group not every community is full of oral storytellers it's certainly something that I took for granted. When I started, you know, leaving and meeting people from places that I was not myself from, Whereas you're, I was surprised. You're descended from Ozarkians, right? Like whether you would consider yourself yes. an Ozark, like, yes. you know, for those who haven't figured it out, um, we've got, uh, I'm the father of Hannah, the, who plays Avis the Spooky. And Eilish, who plays when um, at the initiate. Yeah, um, she's my sister. Um, so you all have been yeah, around like, the Ozarks uh, through me. Definitely. And the people we grew up around and the sort of culture we were immersed in has a lot of influence from the Ozarks. And I was shocked when I met these people from other places in the U.S. when I started college and grad school and all that, who didn't have these oral histories, who didn't have these stories and myths and just strange little anecdotes that have been told for so many generations. I, I sort of took all of that for granted. I assumed everybody had these little stories um, and quickly learned that that was not the case, that they didn't necessarily know the myth of the people who came before them. And, you know, and it is often myths by the time it gets handed down so often. We, won't, we don't have time to get into the details of the story, but one of the things that's interesting is the story, which I know you know, of how mm -hmm. for you it would be your great great, 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 great grandfather came to live in the Ozarks. And, you know, it's a story that has been passed down um, through the family for, for generations. Years. And I, yeah. I recently was doing some research on that for both just family historical and genealogical reasons and discovered that different branches of the family have very different versions of the story. Oh, yeah, because it's evolved with the tone. And I also discovered in looking uh, into some of the original sources and some of the records of, you know, people moving around and buying land and all the other things over time is that none of the versions of the story could be perfectly true. <laughs> like, 
yeah, none of them are true. Have the whole at, at least in a factual sense. But you know, sometimes yes. things can be true in that they reveal something about you or your family. I think it, there's a certain truth to it in the fact that, exactly. It says something about your family. It says something about the value and where you want to believe you came from. Even if it's not quite factually accurate. Truth. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the Ozarks are full of those kinds of stories. Oh, yeah. I think that that's a lot of the various stories that are told, whether they are about people's families or just about things that occurred. Um, they probably didn't actually happen anything like what they're recorded as, but there's still something about the story that rings true. And I hope that's something that I, that we've been able to imbue into the fictional Rails End a little bit, is that Rails End is a place that has stories. Yeah. And they may not I, all be I true. Well, they may not be accurate, yeah. but they are all, all true for the people in Rails End. Yes. So, you know, hopefully people have been enjoying that. Hopefully people will continue to enjoy that. I guess one final note, unless you've got something else you want to jump in with, is that... Um, I don't think so. I think we're covering all our... Okay. Because um, there was one final note I just wanted to throw out there, which is that um, the humbling thing of starting a podcast like this is discovering how much you don't know about doing a podcast like this oh, as yeah. you get better and better at it and you listen to those first episodes and you're like, oh, good God. Oh, yeah. It's cringeworthy already. And we're still in such early days in recording this and learning to edit it and put it together. But Well, and like I mean, use microphones properly and oh, yeah. like, um, you know, initially it turns out it's not a great idea to record a podcast gathered around a microphone in a gymnasium like that's bad yeah it doesn't sound good um, <laughs> so we fixed that problem at least and i mean there's going to be hiccups in all of this we, we're trying different things and i'm sure our audio will get better and worse as we try to figure out what works best. and i know right? like there's that a long way to go yeah and i know that you the hunters the players have gotten much better at playing your roles and we're getting better at telling the story. Yes, and I hope and think yeah. that I've gotten better in my role as the keeper of creating the world and the monsters and, you know, the, the bystanders in it. Um, I know I've enjoyed We're it. getting better at working together. Yes. Uh, I think that's the, the big thing, because even initially, you were having to figure out what we were going to be interested in, what we were going to latch on to, what, what you needed to prepare, right? And I think you have a better understanding now of how to work with us in telling the story. And we know what to do far better as well. Yeah, and which is just, I guess, a uh, long-winded way of saying that if you've enjoyed this first arc that we've been in, oh, <laughs> lordy, does it get better. It, it sounds it, gets so it much sounds better. better. The story is better. The characters are better. The action is more exciting. It's it, it just really becomes engrossing to where now I look forward all week, every week to our session Regardless as to what, what's up with the podcast and all the rest of it, it's just fun to do, it's fun to create, and then it's fun to go back and listen to the more recent episodes. I mean, it's fun to listen to those early yes. episodes that have been out on the feed, but oh my lord, is it fun. Better stuff. Yes. And it's, it, it's been, I, I hope that the fact that it's so fun to put this together comes through in, in what we're recording, because it is... It is the best part of the week at all. Yes, it absolutely is. To sit is. down and tell the story together. Yeah, it really is a lot of fun, and it's been a blast. And I really appreciate you turning me on to this entire Monster of the Week system and, uh, you know, the Adventure Zone. 
and amnesty yeah. and then oh i should give a shout out I, I meant to do this um is that i there were in this exciting world of monster of the week actual play podcast there's a couple others i wanted to specifically acknowledge because they've helped me sort of get my wrap my mind around what this can be and how much yeah you've done so much research on what you wanted this and to i've be. listened to a bunch of monster yeah. of the week actual play podcast and so if you've been enjoying rails in these are ones to think about listening to and they're also crews that i should probably thank in some way for doing something that inspired me here um at least as being a keeper for this rails in adventure and i you know hopefully others as well um First off, as I mentioned, uh, the Adventure Zone, um, specifically their Amnesty arc, which was just so much fun, and I enjoyed that so much. Um, yeah, after, after that, another one that I found, which I'm slowly working through their uh, their backlog on, is a Horror Borealis, which um, is set in Alaska, and I have no earthly idea if they do a good job of depicting Alaskan reality, but I've enjoyed their podcast immensely. A newer one that I've enjoyed a great deal is Shrimp and Crits, which is set in the Florida Panhandle and is just a ton of fun. And uh, finally, there's one that I've started listening to and they're still releasing uh, called Monster Hour, which is set in a small town in Colorado. Well, a college town in Colorado. And they're also just a lot of fun. And so if you're enjoying Rails in Mysteries, God bless you. We really appreciate it. But if you want more fun like that, oh, yeah. um, maybe in a different location, uh, check out one of those. And there's a ton of others as well. But those are the ones that, oh, yeah. that I have personally enjoyed a great deal and, you know, can can wholeheartedly recommend to you depending upon, you know, where your interests lie. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's a whole world out there of people just ready to tell stories in their own various locations and ways. And I think... Yeah, there's a bunch of good actual play podcasts you can find. And it's such a wonderful and flexible way of doing collaborative storytelling where you create something yes. which is so much better than one schmuck like me sitting there could come up with because you're putting multiple creative people together to do this. And it comes out, yeah. you know, like I said, not always factually accurate in that thankfully there isn't a Book light eating people, although maybe there is because it's based on some, you know, some stories that are told in the area. Um, yes, I think that's the other thing that we, sh oh, we should also. We mean. should before we close. A lot of this is based on um, actual Ozark lore. So if you are enjoying these stories and as we're telling more of these mysteries, there's more on, on these monsters and myths and, and, and adventures we're having. These are all based on. Um, stories that have been recorded from the Ozarks. Like these are based in storytelling. Is very and, you know, one thing I should say is that occasionally just as a keeper trying to uh, craft this, I've had to take a few liberties, although, you know, these are not well-documented, well-established phenomenon that we're dealing with. But, you know, like the spook light, once again, you know, please feel free to at me about how the spook light is supposed to be more of a will-o'-the-wisp than it is a spotlight that shines up. But but really to make that first episode or that first arc work the way we needed to, um, that was a decision I made with some creative license. Um, I, yeah. If you're angry about it. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and tell all your friends about how we we'll screwed it up. That would be great. 
great, okay. um, actually. Um, but yes, I realized that the spook light, which is reported down in the Joplin area, tends to be more of a will-o'-the-wisp than a spotlight. I, I understand that. I get that. Um, but it inspired me whenever I was reading about that. I was like, man, that would be really awesome if it was this other way. <laughs> yeah. so, so liberties are taken, but there is a big Yes, reason. yes, it's coming somewhere. And um, that is going to remain the case as we move forward so so yes come but yeah um i I don't think we have much else to say other than uh thank you for listening to us and thanks for listening to this bonus episode and we have more fun stuff to come uh we we hope to have you it's a blast and thank you so much for listening and uh yeah keep at it come visit the ozarks it's a ton of fun even if you don't have to fight monsters (laughs) 